Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to another edition of More Perfect Union. I'm Peter Jay, and with us today, we are going to be talking to candidates for the Office of Attorney General, along with Natalie Alinos, and of course, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and with us, as always, our representative on the Hill, Representative Jeff Roy. Jeff, good morning. Morning to you. How are you doing? Good. I'll let you do the honors. Excellent. Well, our... Uh... Our first candidate that uh, we have uh, for attorney general is uh, Quentin uh, Palfrey. And uh, Quentin has been in public service at the highest levels of government. He was the uh, first chief of the healthcare division in the Massachusetts attorney general's office. And he sued predatory health insurance companies that placed profit over patients' health. He also served in President Obama's White House Office of Science and Technology Policy to help uh, build an economy that works for everyone. And most recently, he served as acting, acting general counsel for the Department of Commerce to help the Biden administration roll out the Build Back Better initiative. And uh, he's been, uh, for nearly 20 years, been working as uh, an election protection attorney. And in 2019, he founded the uh, Voter Protection Corps. I got to meet Quentin through uh, Franklin's Scott Nathan, uh, and I know they have done some work together on uh, on voter protection issues. And I uh, just want to say what a treat to have you here, Quentin. And why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you know why you want to be the next attorney general and uh, what makes you uh, equipped to do that job? And welcome to Franklin. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, and thanks for that warm introduction. So, you know, as a former assistant attorney general, I've seen firsthand how much impact the AG's office can have people uh, have on people's lives all over the Commonwealth and places like Franklin. And I think that we're in a time uh, where we have some really big issues to take on. Uh, racial injustice, the climate crisis, attacks on our democracy, attacks on workers' rights and reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights. we got student loan debt and gun violence, housing insecurity. And I think a lot of these problems are not being handled uh, well at the federal level. There's a lot of paralysis there. And I think what we've seen recently um, is attorneys general really stepping up as really important actors uh, in solving some of these uh, big questions. So when Trump was in office, it was really uh, inspiring to see the AG fight back again and again and again against uh, a corrupt and immoral um, administration. But now more than ever, we really need the AG to dig in and fight uh, for uh, people on workers' rights and consumer protection, civil rights right here in Massachusetts. And I think it's really helpful to have uh, some direct experience in the office and some direct experience managing 
um, managing lawyers who manage lawyers uh, in a government office setting in order to be able to leverage uh, the AG office and, and, and really take advantage of all the resources that we have to, to stand up for consumers. I'd like to jump in, first of all, number one, to say listening to Jeff rattle off your CV, I, I will openly admit to feeling extremely inadequate uh, <laughs> and with that. Um, but I, I also want to point out that, you know, in Massachusetts, you know, we're one of a handful of states that I think has something of a bellwether reputation. And that uh, brings me to the question of at this level, uh, especially when you mention things like election reform and so on, the types of impact that we could hope to have at the federal level from our vantage point. Yeah, thanks so much for that question. I think you're absolutely right that Massachusetts has always been a leader. You know, John Adams wrote the Massachusetts Constitution that became the basis for the U.S. Constitution. We had the first public schools and the first public parks. We led uh, in the abolitionist movement against slavery. We led on equal access to marriage. We led on universal access to health care. And I do think that in this critical time, we've got these big crises like the climate crisis, like attacks on our democracy. You sort of think about where are the solutions to these challenges going to come from. And then you see Mitch McConnell and Joe Manchin blocking all of the meaningful things that we need to move forward. And you think, well, okay, I think it's going to have to come from places like Massachusetts. It's going to have to come from offices like the Attorney General's office and from grassroots leadership. And I think that we've seen over the last couple of decades, AG offices becoming much, much more important in taking on big challenges. I've led some of these multi-state cases. Uh, I led a big uh, multi-state action on uh, against bid rigging and price fixing in the insurance industry that led to a $175 million uh, recovery. Um, and I think that we have this playbook that the AGs have established. So you think about uh, fighting back against Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, whose lies brought us the opioid crisis. It's been so devastating in Franklin and all over the, uh, the all over the state and all over the country. And then you think about the climate crisis. The AG took on ExxonMobil um, for their lies. Um, and I think so. We do need to. Um, Use it. Use the tools available to the AG office and band together with other states to take on some of these really big challenges. At the same time, what I really enjoyed when I was an assistant attorney general was the feeling that you could actually directly help individual consumers and workers on real issues. The AG needs to be present in places like Franklin and take consumer complaints and really address uh, the challenges that people face. So I was the first chief of the healthcare division and I pulled together a bunch of different resources within the attorney general's office to form a new division. We also got new resources because we were implementing Massachusetts health reform. One of the things I asked was I said, you know, can we make sure that all of the consumer complaints that come into the office that would normally be handled centrally, can we make sure that those all come to the healthcare division? I wanna hear what people are experiencing on the ground and I wanna be able to deal with those things uh, directly. So we would take those consumer complaints, we would try and mediate some of those things, but it also informed our agenda. So one thing we heard over and over and over again uh, at the time was that there were uh, three uh, predatory health insurance companies uh, that were lying to consumers. They were selling them a, 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 you know, a bill of goods about what the insurance uh, products were gonna cover. Said this is really low cost, but it's gonna cover your problems. And then they would get cancer or get something else uh, and uh, it wasn't covered. Um, and we heard enough of those complaints that we were like, this is a pattern. We need to deal with this. And so we took on uh, a lawsuit against those uh, three health insurance companies. 
Uh, they didn't they didn't uh, settle right away, so we had to sue them for a couple of years. But at the end of that, we were able to get a big recovery uh, for Massachusetts consumers, and perhaps more importantly, kick those three health insurance companies out of the jurisdiction. This was at the time that we were implementing health reform, so it was really important to send that signal that that kind of misconduct, those that kind of deceptive behavior, would not be allowed in Massachusetts on our watch. Quentin, can I jump in with kind of a follow-up question to that? So it sounds like the office responds directly to consumers. Um, and then are there initiatives that you as the attorney general could start on your own, even if you're not hearing the rumbling? And I ask because what about issues that consumers don't know that they can come to you to complain about or some of the, say, environmental hazards that maybe are not so well known? Like what percent or what authority do you have as attorney general to start your own? And if you do, are, do you have any sort of top priorities if you get elected? And then the other part is, how do you ensure that consumers who maybe aren't, um, you know, knowledgeable, even that your office exists, like how do you reach them to tell them, hey, you can reach out to me? So let me start with the last part first and then move on to the sort of proactive agenda. I think it's really important that the AG office reach out into communities all across the Commonwealth. So too often on Beacon Hill, uh, people don't remember that the rest of the state exists outside of greater Boston. It's really important that the AG office be really proactive in in engaging with communities like Franklin, engaging with communities of color, engaging with non-English speaking populations. We need our consumer outreach to be really proactive because the communities that most need the services of the AG office are also often the communities that are least able uh, to navigate the bureaucracy. So you need to be really proactive. That community engagement needs to be really important. And you need the diverse, you need the team uh, within the office at the leadership level and at every level uh, to reflect the diversity of the Commonwealth. So it is important for us to be engaging with populations and hearing what the consumer protection problems are, um, you know, really understand the way that the opioid crisis and uh, and the pandemic and other and the housing crisis and other kinds of challenges are affecting young people. So I do think that the, uh, what we learn from our community engagement should inf inform a lot of the activity of the office. At the same time, as you say, Natalia, there is a really big uh, set of challenges that we face. The climate crisis is a really good one. So let me talk about my agenda there. Uh, I was in the Biden-Harris administration uh, on day one of the uh, of the administration, and one of the things that Biden and Harris did was they said to us, wherever you are at any level, whether you're at the Commerce Department, the Agriculture Department, Small Business Administration, the climate crisis needs to be an affirmative priority for you. What that's going to look like is going to be different depending on where you sit, but it needs to be an affirmative priority. So let me think about that in the context of the AG office, because I'd like to issue a memorandum on day one that looks a little bit like that to the AG office. So we've got this wonderful environmental protection division. It does some really important work. So Massachusetts versus EPA was a landmark case. Um, we sued Exxon and Mobil, or the AG office did, sued the Trump administration a lot of times. We need the AG office to be doing the traditional kind of environmental protection issues that it does. But it can't stop there, right? Jeff is do doing this wonderful work in terms of trying to um, usher in a transition to renewable sources of energy. The AG needs to be a really aggressive partner in that needs to oversee utility companies and the energy companies be a big part of this transition to renewable energy. We know that the climate crisis hits communities of color the worst. It's a civil rights crisis too. When you're in the civil rights division, you need to take that on with urgency. If you're on the defense side, if you're counseling government agencies, that's often the best opportunity 
to advance uh, an agenda of fighting the climate crisis. Ironically, when you sit in a defensive posture, an advisory posture, you can actually do the most good. On day one of the Biden-Harris administration, I inherited all of Trump's misconduct with respect to the census. I had to undo all of that litigation and try and uh, help point us in a better direction. But actually from that posture, from that defensive posture, there's a lot we can do. And then you've got to use the bully pulpit, right? You've got to say, look, uh, we don't want Holtec dumping radioactive water into Cape Cod Bay. We don't want these comp the compressor station in Weymouth. We don't want uh, a new machine gun range on uh, Joint Base Cape Cod that's going to pollute the water. And use the bully pulpit of the office to bring urgency to that fight. So the climate crisis isn't one thing, it's everything. Uh, and you need to make sure that uh, people across the office know that the leadership of the office is going to hold you accountable for making progress over time. The same is, 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 or there's a very similar approach that I would take to racial injustice. So when you think about George Floyd, you think the murder of, of Kyle Rittenhouse, I'm sorry, the murder of, Ford, of, of, of George Floyd the, and the verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, they remind us that the criminal justice system is broken. We need to do a lot more in criminal justice reform. We need to do a lot more in police accountability. We need to do a lot more uh, in overseeing the correction system. But that's not the entirety of the racial justice agenda. There is huge disparities in the healthcare setting, in the education setting, in voting rights. Uh, in our economy, in housing, in environmental justice, as I mentioned. And so you need to make sure that as you take on racial injustice, it is something um, that is a priority for everyone, no matter where they sit within the attorney general's office. And so uh, that's, the, uh, that, that's the way that I would sort of think about helping set the agenda across the office, because you've got very senior leaders uh, in these different uh, posts, and you want to help put them in a position where they can, um, they can drive a really aggressive agenda, but you have to set uh, priorities for the office. Quentin, this is uh, Chris Wolf, author, immigrant, entrepreneur, and recovering BBC journalist, uh, and Franklin resident now. And um, I just wanted to follow up on uh, Natalia's point about the consumer credibility and reaching consumers uh, and helping them understand that it's real. If I, I've had a couple of emails from things saying they're class action settlements, you know, and I, how do people even know if they're not a, being, it's a phishing scam? I mean, quite often people have no idea and no connection, no real connection to the Attorney General's office. So I know you said a lot of good things about how to be proactive in reaching out to consumers, but in practical terms, how can you make a difference? So as a practical matter, I mean, we were talking about setting an agenda uh, for the office. One of the things that's really important, first of all, is to understand what's happening in the entire state. So you need to have that community engagement be really proactive so that you have a real understanding of the diversity of the challenges that we face in the state. Um, and then um, you do the best that you can to resolve the actual problems that people are facing. So if you take the opioid crisis, to the extent that um, in bringing a consumer protection case against a company like Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, you can identify the individuals who have been harmed. Um, in the first instance, you wanna remedy the kinds of uh, uh, harm that they have directly experienced. But a lot of times what ends up happening um, is that uh, you find some misconduct and you're able to bring a resolution um, that brings uh, penalties and sometimes uh, restitution, but you don't necessarily have a directly affected um, set of consumers. And so what you try to do in those circumstances 
uh, is you try to solve the underlying problem to the best uh, of your ability. So in the, in the mortgage lending crisis, for example, um, the AG um, really sort of stepped up against uh, predatory lending against some of the mortgage fraud that we saw. Um, and that was both a consumer protection set of challenges and a civil rights set of challenges, because a lot of times those products were targeted at uh, more vulnerable populations in order uh, to take advantage of, uh, of their vulnerability. Um, but the recoveries um, were often um, to, uh, you know, we didn't have a specific set of consumers in every instance. And so what we end up trying to do uh, is trying to create some kind of a fund um, that will deal with some of the underlying challenges within um, that sector. Um, and then you try to see if you can address some of those challenges. So in the opioid crisis, for example, uh, maybe we can devote more of those resources um, to um, substance use uh, disorder or to stable housing or to mental health services. Because, you know, on a broader basis, right, the war on drugs has failed. It's been sort of an epic failure um, that has led to uh, over-incarceration, uh, it has led to huge racial disparities in our criminal justice system. Uh, and we need to really rethink uh, that set of challenges. Um, and I think that the real way to think about that is to um, try to deal with the underlying challenges. We're not going to rest and incarcerate our way out of challenges uh, that look like same, what was happening in mass and past, which are primarily about substance use disorder or mental health challenges challenges, unstable housing. The way that you're really going to deal with those challenges is to sort of shift your focus uh, to prevention, to trying to take on uh, those underlying challenges. But that takes resources. Sometimes uh, these, uh, these consumer protection recoveries can, um, can lead to some resources that can add uh, to the solution set that we have available uh, to deal with some of those underlying problems. You know, Quentin, I'm, I'm concerned that as a consumer, one of the things that I think, especially during the political season uh, that happens to us is that we hear the wonderful talk about what the next politician or the next office holder is going to do without clarity as to, but the extent of my power is here, and now you've got to rely upon some other branch of government. For example, the AG's office is part of the enforcement uh, procedure uh, of our criminal and civil systems. However, and let's take, for example, the war on drugs. When, when marijuana was legalized in Massachusetts, I didn't hear anything coming out of the AG's office regarding, well, now how are we going to mitigate the harms that may have been caused? It came out of the executive branch, which was actually their responsibility, not the AG's responsibility. Uh, and I don't recall hearing anything in support of the executive office's uh, trying to address some of those prior harms. For example, when the governor decided that we're going to hold a, a set number of licenses for those people who were incarcerated uh, for nonviolent marijuana crimes, and in order to help them to now be able to turn the coin into a positive with regard to now going out and legally being able to dispense uh, marijuana. Uh, I didn't hear any of the other branches sort of jump in and go, yes, and we will be there to one, support and to uh, enforce uh, what the governor is trying to do. Uh, and then it comes to a matter of the trust of the people in our system in terms of holding uh, various aspects accountable. So 
can you address that? I mean, you know, I hear a lot of nice talk on the civil side, but let's talk about the criminal side. There are a number of things in terms of reform that need to be done, but I'm not hearing enough of, well, here's what the power of my office can and should be doing at this point. Maybe you could address that. Thank you so much for that question, Michael. And I think it's really important um, for us to um, to focus on um, what we can do ourselves. But at the same time, I also think that we need a big, bold agenda. And one of the great things that the attorney general can do um, is help be an opinion leader and a thought leader and use the bully pulp, uh, pulpit of the office uh, to drive forward an agenda. Um, and to help um, put a spotlight on some of the really big challenges we face. And I think criminal justice reform is a good example of that. So um, in the context of uh, criminal justice, um, the AG is not um, the frontline prosecutor um, for a lot of the uh, crimes that put people uh, behind bars. Um, There are criminal powers and they're important to use, Um, but really the district attorneys are the frontline prosecutors in a lot of these ways. And so I think the AG can help set the agenda. Um, I very much identify myself uh, with the progressive prosecutor movement. It's been really inspiring to see attorneys, uh, district attorneys like Rachel Rollins was in in Suffolk uh, DA's office um, and all across uh, the country um, start to be innovative in using prosecutorial discretion to try to take on this over-incarceration problem and the huge racial disparities in the criminal justice system and pair that innovative approach to uh, non-prosecution experimentation uh, with the incorporation of data and evidence, really partnering with scholars to look in real time at what's working and what's not, um, and uh, to expand uh, the efforts that are being effective and course correct on the ones that aren't. I think that's absolutely the right way to think about that. I think the AG can walk the walk in terms of our own uh, prosecutorial decisions, um, but I think a lot of what the AG can do is be a partner with the DAs, be a a thought leader, uh, be a partner with the legislature in saying um, that we need to disrupt the criminal legal system uh, that has prioritized um, incarceration and arrest as uh, the frontline way of dealing with some of the underlying social problems. We need much more urgency uh, in our criminal justice reform efforts uh, to stop criminalized poverty, to disrupt uh, the cradle to prison pipeline and get people who are at risk of criminal justice involvement uh, engaged in um, uh, you know, summer jobs programs, uh, diversion efforts, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, in the corrections context, the AG needs to do a much better job of overseeing uh, corrections facilities where there are credible allegations of misconduct, doing a better job of standing up for incarcerated people and their rights to make phone calls and uh, to vote easily. Um, And in the policing context, I do believe that the AG needs to be uh, more urgent in its oversight of the state police. Um, I don't believe that we should have qualified immunity um, for police officers who are accused of uh, being uh, involved in a violent incident with um, with people they're arresting. Um, So I think that there are a lot, I I would like a statewide Brady list uh, that the AG um, uh, that the AG is uh, responsible for curating and that has uh, open access uh, for the public. Um, so I think there's a lot that the AG can do to help move forward a criminal justice reform agenda uh, that under um, 
that, that, that reduces some of these racial disparities and really disrupts the system. But I do think at the front line, uh, a lot of the uh, responsibilities are going to be in the district attorney's office and the sheriff's office and local law enforcement. So, Quentin, it's been, uh, there's a lot of exciting races going on in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, in 2022, and uh, the attorney general's race is, is just one of them. Um, I wonder if you can talk to us a bit about what it's like uh, being on the campaign trail in 2022. We're coming out of uh, a pandemic. It seems to be in the rearview mirror. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But uh, tell me what it's like uh, actually running a statewide campaign in this environment. Well, thanks so much for asking. And it doesn't feel like it's in the rearview mirror for me because I'm recovering from COVID and a couple of my members of my family are still uh, still still have COVID. And so uh, certainly- Oh, no, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. But um, but it, it definitely is a, a, a time uh, where a lot of people are, are struggling, uh, both with the pandemic and also with uh, the you know some of the economic consequences of it. I think that this is a very challenging time for a lot of people. And I think we do need to be very cognizant of the challenges that people are facing and be um, you know, really, really careful about uh, respecting science and, and, and protecting the public health. Um, but I love campaigning. This is, you know, I, I was honored to be the Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor in 2018, ran a statewide campaign there, really on the uh, on on a notion of grassroots campaigning, really trying to respect and empower and include people um, all across the, the Commonwealth. Um, and that's the kind of campaign um, that we're running here uh, for Attorney General. Uh, we're doing the best that we can to be out in communities and meet people face to face, but we're also uh, being innovative and in using um, electronic tools and, and digital and ro relational organizing to kind of replicate uh, the grassroots efforts that uh, are easier to do in a time that's not a pandemic. Um, but I think it's a really exciting time. I think that people understand the urgency of this moment. Um, I think that people are really concerned about uh, the set of challenges that I was talking about, racial justice and climate crisis, attacks on our democracy, workers' rights, reproductive rights, LGBT. PQ rights. There's just a lot going on um, in the political uh, world, and uh, there's a lot at stake in our elections. Um, and I think state leadership is uh, is critically important at this moment. Um, I was proud of the work that I did in the Biden administration. I was proud of the work that I did in the Obama administration. But honestly, I think the federal government's broken. I think Congress is broken. Um, I think that we are at a moment in our democracy um, where uh, it is foolish to look to the national level uh, for the solutions to really big challenges. And I think that means um, that we need to lead right here in Franklin. We need to lead right here in Massachusetts. We need leaders like the AG to have bold agendas um, that really are disruptive, that really take on some of these really big challenges. And I think people feel that. Um, and that's the kind of energy that we're trying to build in our campaign. Well, we are coming up at the end of our time uh, together, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us and uh, wish you the best of luck out there on the campaign trail. You only have 351 communities to visit. Uh, do you intend to get to all of them? Yeah, I think that we want to touch people everywhere. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean a physical visit between now and September to every one of the 351 towns and cities, but we've done a really uh, we, we've done a really proactive job of reaching out to every community. We have leaders in every state Senate district. I'm proud that we have more than 250 community leaders endorsing our campaign. Represents all parts of the Commonwealth, and we're working really hard to build a truly statewide, truly 
complete grassroots campaign. Well, great. Thanks again. And Pete, why don't you launch us into our next segment? Quentin, good luck. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. What a pleasure. Suddenly, I feel a little smarter, Jeff. I, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of absorbing all this. Again, Quentin, thank you so much. And I would like to also add that these elections, these candidates are, you know, they affect us more than perhaps maybe we might realize you know, when we go to the polls. So um, I'm really happy that Jeff was able to arrange our discussions today. And with that, Jeff, I hand it back to you to introduce our next candidate. Great. Uh, I'm delighted to uh, welcome uh, to our show, uh, Shannon Liss Reardon. And uh, Shannon Liss Reardon is a trial lawyer. And I understand her first job was with uh, the legendary feminist civil rights leader, labor lawyer, and congresswoman Bella Abzug, uh, who inspired Shannon to go to law school. Uh, and uh, after graduating from Harvard Law School, uh, Shannon made a name for herself as one of the top plaintiff lawyers in the country, winning groundbreaking lawsuits on behalf of waitresses, truck drivers, firefighters, janitors, and Uber drivers who had been denied overtime, minimum wage, and other wage uh, protections. Uh, she's blazed a trail for uh, workers' rights in the gig economy and was the first person to challenge the misclassification of gig economy workers as independent contractors. And she's taken on companies like Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash and put money back into workers' uh, workers' uh, uh, pockets. In uh, 2009, she partnered with uh, Massachusetts labor lawyer Harold Lichten to create Lichten and Liss Reardon PC. And uh, she lives in Brookline uh, with uh, Natalia, uh, but she doesn't live with Natalia. But uh, Shannon lives in Brookline with her husband, Kevin, and their three kids, uh, Shane, Miles, and Jordan, and their Airedale Terrier, uh, Logan. So with that, uh, Shannon, why don't you tell us uh, uh, why you're in this race and uh, what you think you can bring uh, to the Attorney General's office. And thank you for joining us and welcome. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, I am really excited about this campaign for Attorney General. I really have spent my entire legal career taking on the biggest challenges and delivering big results for regular people. Uh, I've been working effectively as a private attorney general for the last 20 years. So I'm excited about the opportunity to take it to the next level um, and step into the shoes of and continue and expand on the great work Marla Healy has been doing. I think this is a job for a seasoned, acclaimed attorney, more so than a politician. I think we've got really big challenges and hurdles ahead of us. Um, and I, I think I'm the most qualified candidate to protect the, the workers of Massachusetts, the consumers, our environment. Uh, so I'm very excited about this campaign. I'll jump in again. Uh, I want to focus on Massachusetts and our interesting position in the world, uh, particularly in US law. Uh, a lot of people know that Massachusetts um, has a, a lofty position as a bellwether state where we've been able to influence federal law and make change from our standpoint that has favorably affected the entire country. And so I'd like to talk to that issue and how you feel that Massachusetts can continue to do that. 
Uh, yeah, no, Massachusetts really has been a trailblazer. We have been a leader and we need to continue to be a leader in, in the area of wage enforcement, for example, my specialty. Massachusetts does have some of the strongest laws in the country. And in fact, it was our laws here against worker misclassification that I've built on and I've used and I've expanded around the country. And, and it was my work on behalf of gig workers. I, I brought our Massachusetts law to California. Um, the birthplace of the gig industry, which has led to a tremendous backlash by this whole industry who are now trying to buy themselves out of our laws um, here like they did in California. And it, it's a national focus. The, the eyes of the nation are on us right now. So I am, I plan to be a leader among attorneys general nationwide. I have worked with attorney general's offices um, in different states, not just the Massachusetts AG's office, but California, as well as New York. I think that we have a pivotal role to play in shaping national conversations about all types of areas, reproductive rights, um, gun protections, consumer rights. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to continue this work. I, I am the only candidate in this race who has been an actual practicing lawyer for more than 20 years, leading teams of lawyers to victories against corporate America. I have led teams of lawyers in, in national litigation. So I look forward to leading the attorney general's office here and coordinating with and leading other attorneys general across the country and, and fighting the big fights that we have ahead of us. You bring up an interesting point uh, in referencing other attorneys general uh, in other states. And, and so I'd like perhaps for you to expand on that notion of moving from an, a state initiative and expanding things out where appropriate to a regional initiative that ultimately might find its way up to the federal level. Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of the work that Mara Healy's gotten started, the, there's a lot of unfinished business there. For instance, going against the pharmaceutical industry for, for bringing us the opioid crisis. You know, these are issues that are not just local, they are national. So they require a coordinated response. Um, you know, similarly, as I just mentioned, gun gun protection. Um, you know, we've got some very strong laws here in Massachusetts, but uh, that's not the case in all the surrounding states. And I think coordinated regional efforts to ensure that our laws are enforced um, are, are critical to our safety and our well-being. Um, you know, what I know from my experience over the last 20 years as a, as a top civil rights um, litigator is that laws don't enforce themselves. You know, we have some very strong laws here in Massachusetts, but you need to have a strong attorney general who knows how to make something of these laws, how to make sure that corporations comply with their laws. Uh, at that, and that's what I've been doing through my whole career. I have, I've changed corporate policy. I put hundreds of millions of dollars back in people's pockets. Uh, you need to have someone who knows how to use the law like I have done to, to make people's lives better. Can I jump in with a question? If you were to explain to someone um, who has really not thought about the attorney general, like your role, can you, you in sort of simple words say like, you know, how will I feel your presence in my daily life if you do a good job? And how will I feel your absence if, you know, you do a bad job, even if I never interact with you? The attorney general is the people's lawyer. 
uh, as I've been saying out on the campaign trail, as the voters are making their choice in this race, you are deciding who you want to hire to be the next lawyer for the people of Massachusetts. The AG's office is where you go if your employer doesn't pay you your wages. The AG's office is where you go if you're being ripped off or scammed by some company, a telemarketer or a bank that's charging improper fees or um, a, a loan service provider that is not playing by the rules. It's extremely important for the people to have a place to go to lodge these types of complaints and actually see something happening. Uh, and, and that is the kind of work that I've been doing for more than 20 years doing class action litigation on behalf of large groups of workers and consumers. I know how to address those issues. I know how to look out there and see what kinds of complaints we're seeing, what kind of abuses are happening in various industries and take them on and, and change that behavior. And I know that from my, from my successful litigation, that the best way to deter bad behavior is to really take on those bad actors make them pay, make examples of them, uh, and make sure that our laws are respected and complied with and, and enforced. And that is the work that I've been doing successfully and have received national acclaim for over the last 20 years. And I'm excited to put that energy and experience and passion for justice to work for the people of Massachusetts. Thanks so much. And I think, you know, from the worker's perspective, as someone who works in public health, that is so, so central. If we think about some of the big challenges, you know, climate change, criminal reform, criminal legal system reform, uh, you know, policing, how do you address, you know, I, I, I have heard very clearly what you were doing for workers. And I am so grateful for that because I really do think with this pandemic, we have seen how important worker protection is and uh, we have not done enough for workers um, seeing the inequities of who has gotten sick and who is still you know, losing their jobs. But how, how do you tackle some of these kind of larger issues that maybe it's hard to narrow down to, to say, you know, I as a, I have been impacted because actually, you know, some sort of chemical exposures where we've all been impacted and we don't even know about it because it's in our food and our products, you know, like how do you address some of those issues that maybe the consumer won't come to you um, because they don't even know that they're being harmed? Right. Well, that really is in line with the work that I've been doing over the last 20 years. I have taken on issues that, that most people haven't even realized that they've suffered legal violations. Uh, and, and that's what I've done through class action litigation. Um, I recognize that there are violations going on out there. Get a handful of people who come to us. Sometimes we see things happening and I, and I team up with nonprofit organizations, lawyers for civil rights, the ACLU, um, unions come to me um, and we take on those issues. And we address them and then we get results for people who didn't even realize that they were subject to a legal violation. So I'm I'm really proud and honored now to have the support of nearly 40 labor unions across Massachusetts representing more than 150,000 working people have endorsed our campaign. And I do think that my skills and experience in taking on these bad corporate actors in the legal arena of, of the labor world translates directly into enforcing our laws, uh, our consumer protection laws, and our environmental laws. So you mentioned climate change. I have called on all the candidates in this race to have a debate on focus just on climate, because I think this is 
the most critical issue, the most urgent issue impacting all of us, and it deserves more than a sound bite. The voters of Massachusetts deserve to hear how each of the candidates for attorney general in detail would take on this global crisis, what we would do to ensure that we're meeting our goals. Uh, again, we have we now have a, a roadmap. The legislature has set forth the next generation roadmap for what we need to do to reach our climate change goals. But again, laws do not enforce themselves. You need to have a powerful, strong attorney who knows how to take on corporations who would skirt our laws for their own profit and make sure that they are being enforced. And that is what I plan to do. Uh, I also plan to set up a green bank where we would take penalties that we would recover from those corporations who are polluting our environment and skirting our environmental rules and use it to fund clean energy projects and environmental justice projects. So I've got a lot of specific ideas out there. In addition to doing the legal work, enforcing our laws, I would be an activist AG, like I've been an activist lawyer throughout my career, working with the legislature, partnering with the legislature to make sure that we are getting the, the rules made, the laws enacted that are needed to, to address these most critical issues. Shannon, let me, uh, let me ask you this, because as a senior citizen and as a consumer, there's something else that is uh, bothering me, uh, probably just as important right now for me that, uh, than the environment which are scam calls. <laughs> now, when you say that, a lot of people smile and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am so frustrated with hearing there is nothing we can do. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm a non-believer of that. I think our technology is such that our right to privacy is one of the pieces that should be right at the forefront of attorney generals across the country trying to protect, but it's not. Um, and I think this is also part of the eroding of other types of privacy. When you look at, for example, the right to have medical care be something between me and my, uh, you know, and my doctor with regard to women's health care, when it comes to the right to privacy, when it comes to uh, whether it's marriage. Um, and so, you know, the scam issue may be one that, you know, brings smiles to folks' face, but I think it's part of the whole endemic of the right to privacy not being a real front runner, if you will, for attorneys general. Um, and, and so I, as a, con a consumer say, well, you know, you guys talk about, you know, the environment. Um, and again, it's an important topic, but then when it comes to something just as basic as the invasion of my home through my cell phone or the invasion of my doctor's office, you folks aren't doing very much. How do you respond to that, Shannon? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That, that is a, in a very important issue. And I have been hearing about this concern and that unfortunately it's not something that attorneys general have really been taking on. Scam telemarketing calls, particularly to seniors, is a huge problem. The answer that they've been getting is, well, just don't pick up the phone. But that doesn't, that doesn't answer the question. <clears throat> we have rules, we have consumer protection laws. This activity is illegal. That is what I've been doing for 20 years is I've been going after corporations and bad actors who are taking advantage of consumers, of workers, uh, and I'll go after them and enforce our laws and shut them down and stop them from doing this and make them pay the penalties 
and stop preying on our seniors and others who are victims of this type of activity. Um, you know, I absolutely agree with what you were saying also about right to privacy. It's so, so sad, so troubling what we know that our U.S. Supreme Court seems on the verge of doing, taking away nearly 50 years of reproductive freedom um, so that women's rights to choose uh, on a nationwide level are at risk. Um, and it will not be, if the Supreme Court goes the way we think, something that a woman can decide privately with her doctor. Here in Massachusetts, we're very fortunate that our legislature has passed the Roe Act. I was a huge supporter of that. I was a big supporter of one of the main groups that was championing that. I've been a reproductive rights advocate since way back, way back when I was, I worked for the Center for Reproductive Law and Policy while I was in law school. Um, the next, the battle lines are being redrawn on that issue. After the Supreme Court rules, we know that states across the country are unfortunately going to be passing extremely restrictive abortion laws. Uh, and women who need these services are going to be coming into states like Massachusetts, and we need to be welcoming them. The next battle line is going to be that some of those states that are trying to restrict women's rights to choose are going to be criminalizing or attempting to pass laws to criminalize women traveling across state lines to come to states like Massachusetts to receive abortion services. As Attorney General, I will fight to make sure that other states cannot reach into our state and enforce such laws and that Massachusetts will be a welcoming place for women to seek medical care, reproductive services, and, and health care. Um, and that is unfortunately going to be the next big battle line on this front. Yeah, well, let me take that just one step further, though, Shannon, because, again, I think the underpinning of, uh, of Roe v. Wade uh, because I, I listened to the rights argument that, well, the right to privacy, which is the premise for a lot of the rights that come to us, whether it's through our privacy in our medical records, privacy with regard to uh, marriage, uh, et cetera, that that particular right doesn't exist in the Constitution. That's what the right is saying. I mean, that's what the right is saying. So it's easy for us to sort of look at this and say, well, they can't take that away from us, but they are the states. And then when you set up a situation where, uh, you know, a state is going to try to, again, invade your automobile or an airplane and say, you are crossing our state line in order to do something that in this state is illegal, sets up a civil kind of discourse that not only is disruptive, but at its foundation is something that if, if this goes to the Supreme Court, I'm very, very concerned that the Supreme Court then would, uh, especially in its current formation, say to people, you know what? You don't have a right to privacy, even though uh, in as part of the uh, sort of preamble to the whole thing, I have a right to pursue uh, happiness. Is it my happiness depending upon how I view that and my privacy? So again, help me understand how, you know, because I think we too quickly jump to the big issue rather than start with the foundation. The foundation is one of a right to privacy. I should, I think, hold Verizon accountable since they're the ones who are providing that service for me for any unauthorized access to my telephone. 
And Verizon says, nope, that's not our responsibility. Well, where's the attorney general to say, you know what? That consumer is absolutely correct. You have a responsibility to that consumer to help protect them from these illegal or scam activities. Help me out, Shannon. Respond, you know, what's your response to that running for the AG's office? Uh, yeah, no, the, the kind of scam that you're describing is exactly the kind of scam that I've been taking on and fighting and winning against for, for years. Um, so we see it all the time in the labor arena that a corporation tries to deflect responsibility onto others. And there are so many schemes. There's so many ways that corporations do this. Um, one of the big issues, what you just said about Verizon, just sets up the stage for a big issue that we're seeing is corporations trying to disclaim responsibility by putting the responsibility onto other intermediary actors uh, and to hide behind that. You know, these telemarketing scams, there are the corporations that are actually responsible for doing it, and then they have it carried out by these intermediaries who, if they ever get caught, the, you know, they just sort of disappear. They're very fly by night. So the actual corporations who are responsible for this can just stay out of trouble. But this is what I've been doing is I've been getting to the corporations who are actually responsible. So for, for example, I've had years long litigation against FedEx, um, leading transportation company in the country. Um, it, we sued them. We went after them for years for misclassifying their drivers as independent contractors and it had success in the courts. Um, got back millions of dollars for workers, truck drivers who had been scammed by this. Uh, and step after that was, did FedEx actually acknowledge the drivers were their employees? No, they, they set up the system where there were intermediaries between them and the workers so that they could claim that these little intermediaries were the ones responsible for complying with the wage and hour and all employment laws. I have a national lawsuit now against FedEx for actually being the one responsible for the continued wage violations that are going on um, for those drivers. And, and the exact same thing is happening in the consumer arena, where you ha you'll have a company like Verizon, or you'll have some big company at the top that is actually the one responsible for these bad actions. And they're trying to hide their liability through these little intermediaries um, who are a little hard to get your hands on because they're fly by night. I know have to. I know how to go after those scams. I know how to get the actual bad actors held accountable, and, and that's the work that I'm going to be doing as Attorney General, putting my experience and success for the last 20 years to work um, to make sure that the Massachusetts, the people of Massachusetts, workers, consumers, all of us are not taken advantage of that way by these powerful corporate interests. Hey, uh, Shannon, can you talk to us a little bit about campaigning in 2022? It's a, it's a little better than campaigning in 2020, uh, but uh, it has its challenges and uh, a lot of exciting races out there in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I'm wondering if you could uh, share with uh, what you're experiencing out there and uh, uh, what it's like being on the campaign trail. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful being on the trail. Uh, I mean, things are still, uh, you know, we're not back to normal. I don't know what normal is ever going to be. The last two years have been 
have been very difficult for so many people. Um, but I'm excited to be out there. I'm traveling all across Massachusetts, everywhere I can. I'm meeting with folks in person. It's really great to be making those personal connections again. Um, but with the power of Zoom now, I'm also able to be a lot more places with people remotely. So I can be uh, I can be meeting with the Democratic Town Committee on the Cape, and then the next half hour later, meeting with uh, a committee out in Berkshire County. Um, I am really excited to be talking to voters across Massachusetts, learning what's on their mind. Um, and, and I'm learning so much from hearing about what people's concerns are. I know that times are tough for everyone right now. The price of everything seems to be going up. The uh, price of housing and um, schools and um, you know, just getting by and, and paying your bills and supporting your family is tough for everyone. And I'm hearing that. And it's making me think a lot about what we need to be doing, what I will be doing as attorney general to bring some relief to families. I think a number one thing uh, that we can be doing and that we can be doing more aggressively, which I will do as attorney general, is make sure that wages get back in people's pockets. How, how better to ensure that people have the money that they should be getting as than to make sure that they're being paid everything they're owed by their employers. And that's something that I have a lot of experience with. Um, I've gotten hundreds of millions of dollars back in working people's pockets over these last 20 years. I think there is more that the attorney general's office could be doing to ensure compliance with our wage and hour laws. Um, I, I think that consumers need to have a place to turn when they're being ripped off by corporations. Um, I will be out there, I will have their backs. And I'm just really excited about the traction that our campaign has gotten everywhere I've been going. We've been getting really, really positive response and I'm excited to see so many people jumping on board, volunteering, helping us collect signatures. Um, so it's it's been a really exciting time. Collecting signatures uh, is a daunting challenge. Uh, in 2020, it was particularly daunting, but it still seems to have lingered in 2022. I'm wondering if you're uh, experiencing that yourself. Um, well, you know, it is a big, it's a big challenge, but I knew what we were getting into when I got into this race. So yeah, we got to collect 10,000 signatures uh, around the Commonwealth. We're aiming for a lot more than that to make sure we meet the certification requirements, but we're, we're getting there. I've got, I'm very excited to have volunteers all across the state. They're standing outside grocery stores. They're going to events. They're going to meet people where they are. And we're, uh, you know, we're out there, we're doing it. And the response has been, has been really gratifying and, and wonderful. So Natalia, is Shannon a good neighbor? You know, we actually haven't met in person. That's the problem with the pandemic. But uh, she, and she does not live in my house. <laughs> as, as, <laughs> uh, but I hope I hope we do meet. And you know, Brookline is a place that you know a lot. A lot of people make assumptions about who lives in Brookline and and the challenges of Brookline. But uh, it's a, it's a wonderful community. Maybe not as wonderful as Franklin. I don't know, Jeff. Shannon, I'll just close with one uh, interesting quip, which we've sort of touched on here a little bit through these discussions uh, because we talked about the right to privacy and some other elements of the Bill of Rights. And certainly we've seen the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment clash violently with respect to uh, the abortion issue. That said, I think that we could close with a brief comment on what George Carlin offered. His take on it was that the Bill of Rights is exactly that. It's not the Bill of Privileges because privileges can be taken away. That one hit me. 
And, and that said, I, for one, would like to see rights applied perhaps more uniformly across all states, even though there are powers that are specifically enumerated to the federal government and the other powers are assumed to flow back to the states. I think that with the feckless performance at the federal level these days, it seems that what we are gradually devolving into is a loose confederation of, of states and less opportunity across the entire country, less equal opportunity across the entire country for everyone. And your quick closing thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that there is a lot of responsibility with the states now, given the federal government's absence in a lot of these areas. And the Attorney General of Massachusetts has an extremely important responsibility to enforce those rights. And I plan to be a leader among attorneys general across the country, because I think Massachusetts has been a leader in so many areas, and we can and should continue to be a leader. So I think having a strong seasoned attorney as attorney general in Massachusetts can help not only the people of Massachusetts, but make a nationwide impact on making sure that rights are protected for people um, by coordinating with other attorneys general across the country. I look forward to solidifying and ensuring our protections and our rights and working to ensure that that the people have the power, um, that, that powerful interests are not able to take away those rights from us because we will have strong representation. We will have strong enforcement of our rights and our laws. And I, I look forward to serving the people of Massachusetts in that capacity. So I, I humbly seek the support of your listeners. I, I really look forward to getting to work and applying the work I've been doing for the last 20 years as a private attorney general, now with the official backing of the state uh, and, and being the people's lawyer of Massachusetts. So thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being on your show today. Shannon, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, great discussion today. And with that, uh, we've heard from Shannon Liss Reardon. We've also heard from Quentin Palfrey. And if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at franklin.tv. That's info at franklin.tv. I'm Peter J. With me, Natalie Alinos, Representative Jeff Roy, and Dr. Michael Walker Jones and Chris Wolf. For now, thanks for listening. And until the next time. This is Franklin Public Radio.